0: The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short podcast. I'm your host Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Ariana Woodley. Born on the small island of Anguilla, it was almost a net of a bolt that flying would be part of Ariana's future. Watching the small to mid-sized aircraft take off and land at the Clayton J. Lloyd International Airport became quite the hobby, which later resulted in garnering a summer job in the air traffic control tower. Now a graduate with a double major in geography and aviation and a minor in environmental science, in addition to holding a commercial pilot license. Ariana currently works at Mount Allison University as an admissions counselor for prospect management. To quote Ariana, a career in aviation is not a one-step process. Black students need even more support from as early as possible to ensure that they are able to receive the best training possible, especially with financial support. As the student program and development director at the Black Aviation Professionals Network, Ariana's aim is to ensure that students have access to all that is required without having to worry about how they will fund their training. I truly cannot be more excited to have her joining me today. Welcome, Arianna.
1: Hi, and It's great to be here. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in.
0: Thank you so much for finding the time for this. I know you have a lot on the go, so we'll jump right on in. How did you get your start in aviation?
1: All right, so I think I can probably go back to age six. My parents made a habit of making sure that we were well-traveled um, at least two trips a year. And my first real experience with aviation was getting lost in the airport because I was trying to find the hangar and figure out where the planes were coming from. So I would say that was my real start there. Uh, As the years progressed, I had a summer internship in our air traffic control unit back home. And that was something that really reinforced for me that I, I needed to be in aviation. I loved air traffic control, it was great. And I did it for the following summer and then I'd come in during the winter periods as well. But I knew that I always wanted to be a pilot from that area, Um, talking with them and giving them, you know, all the required information was fun, but I wanted to be behind the scenes. So that's that's really how I got started. Um, I decided to head over to New Brunswick for my undergraduate education, and that resulted in me undertaking the Bachelor of Science in Aviation program. Later on, as you'll find out, um, I kind of restructured my program a bit to include geography and an additional minor, but in 2016, that's when the journey really began.
0: So I love that for you, you were clearly a confident enough kid that to go to an airport, your first (laughs) thought is, I need to go figure out where the planes are being kept and where all that is, because as a little kid, I was too nervous to leave my parents (laughs) at an airport.
1: Oh yeah, it it was always fun, especially getting lost in U.S. airports. My parents would be behind me, but I knew what I wanted, and I think that's probably the drive that I have today. I know what I want. I'm going to go for it, even if it makes everyone else, you know, question a little bit. But, you know, once you know what you're interested in, you just go for it.
0: Now, did you grow up in the Caribbean?
1: I did. So I'm originally from Anguilla, a very small island, but i um, small and powerful. A lot of pilots actually do come from Anguilla, and they make their way into the U.S., so lots of encouragement there on that end, but very few female pilots. I do believe there's just one. Her dad owns a flight school, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I think aside from the two of us, maybe there's another one, not to my knowledge, at least.
0: Now I'm just thinking as someone that grew up in Eastern Canada, it's mm-hmm. cold. I'm used to sort of the plus 40 in the summer, minus 40 in the winter. Mm-hmm. What is it like, I guess, sort of, I guess, year round living in Anguilla, just like a country that, I mean, to me. The Caribbean just seems lush and wonderful Mm -hmm. year-round as compared to Ottawa.
1: (laughs) It's definitely warm. Um, I do find that the warmth is something that every time I go back home, I have to readjust to, even though Sackville summers are Mountain summers are really warm too. But you can expect consistency in the weather, at least with Anguilla. Fairly dry. Usually the sun Mm -hmm. is always out. Um, If it rains, not really for a very long period. Of course, we have hurricanes, but I think that's probably a good thing for aviation in terms of the consistent weather, because, you know, you're not really grounded as often, planes are always going, and everyone's pretty much (laughs) very happy about that.
0: And as you sort of said, you had the opportunity to look at the air traffic control infrastructure of Mm -hmm. Anguilla. I guess, what other, I guess, are there major differences that you are aware of between ATC and Anguilla versus Canada, or even the aviation uh, industry in Anguilla versus Canada?
1: So, Anguilla is a British overseas territory. So, there are some things that you can definitely tell the difference with, in terms of like, let's say, some people say the QNH reading, for example, and then over here they'd usually say altimeter readings are X Y Z. Mm. So, those are some of the differences. But aside from that, I do see the similarities in terms of the flight plans that were used because we did have US, Canadian, British traffic very regularly. So I was able to see FAA flight plans versus the ICAO ones. So I was like, oh, I'd ask the controllers, what's this? Why is this one like this? And they would explain to me um, lots of resources they provided as well. A couple of them actually gave me my first um, whiz wheel and my first textbooks. And it was really great um, to have such a supportive community in there. And a lot of them do check in on my status to see, you know, How's the flying going? You know, do you think you'd ever head back into ATC? But I do love them fairly equally.
0: No, it's it's such an interesting part of aviation. How mm-hmm. did you find yourself having the opportunity to even, I guess, go up in a tower and be around air traffic controllers?
1: Right. So we had this program at our school during the summer or at least, you know, the spring period to summer. You were able to intern at whatever location you were interested in, especially if they would have you, because during the summer, things are pretty busy. So if they're able to accommodate a student, whether paid or unpaid, it was always a great experience. Um, So my internship was unpaid, but I felt like the, the skills that I learned and the information that I was able to absorb was really and truly what I needed to cement in my mind that I am going to flight school. This is what I want to do. So, you know, every day that I came in, It was always something different. Some days quieter than others for sure. But, um, you know, getting to see private jets coming in and knowing exactly who's on there, but, you know, trying to be calm at the same time because you're super excited and you just want to ask them to go in and see what the cockpit looks like. And I've had the opportunity to do that. So that was great. Um, And then because they knew I was so interested in flying, they would ask me if I'd like to come in during peak season, so in the winter, so I can see exactly how busy it got, and that, even though it was wild within itself, I really enjoyed that experience.
0: I mean, how would it not be incredibly mm-hmm. informative and cementing just to say, like, I am I, interested in aviation to have that opportunity to be invited to the flight deck, to be invited back during peak season. Like, how would that not just be? I, I guess it, for me, it'd be hard to sort of just say, like, oh, well, it could so easily steer you towards air traffic control. But mm-hmm. having such a holistic I guess, approach to aviation in that internship, even if it was unpaid. I mean, man, that's such a a great starting point.
1: Right. I agree with that one. Um, I think it's probably because I like to see how everything works, whether being the one in front or the one behind the scenes. And I think um, looking at the ATC and seeing what they did, it's like, okay, they're literally a pilot's best friend. And I think I want that part. <laughs> like, I want I want to have a best friend with me as I'm flying, quote unquote. And I think that really informed my training as well as I went in. Um, I remember the first time I actually stepped on the controls, you know, being able to speak to ATC here in Moncton. I was like, oh, wow, you know what? Let me make sure that I'm clear. Let me make sure that I'm doing everything that I remember because I know just how frustrating it could have been sometimes, you know, with ATC Conversing with the pilots and everyone not being on the same page. So, I think that really informed my training. I made sure I had my phonetic alphabet, (laughs) don't pack, um, and all my information before I would even call and ask, you know, ground or tower for any kind of clearances. So, yeah.
0: So, I mean, training at a Plankton, that is a controlled airport Mm -hmm. as well. I also trained initially at a a very large controlled airport. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, having that exposure to ATC with your internship background and also in your early pilot training. It reinforces exactly that, that the air traffic mm-hmm. controllers are there to help you work with you and not sort of not so scary after all to have to yeah, call them. <laughs> that. Now you touched on your post secondary studies and for mm-hmm. that you did an integrated CPL and multi IFR in conjunction with a Bachelor of Science in Geography and Aviation. What was it like doing all these different programs sort of in tandem with each other and balancing all these different facets?
1: Mm-hmm. So initially, when I wanted to study aviation, I always knew I wanted the undergraduate degree as well. Um, Bachelor of Science was definitely where I was headed. But I also have a love for geography, all things met all things soil, all things, everything you can think of human geography. I'm here for it. So I wanted to figure out how I could incorporate both of them. And the first flight school that I was interested in did offer those combinations. But Mount Allison was a small school where you had better opportunities to really interact with your professors and shape your degree. So I think that's probably what steered me more along that direction. So I came in and the only program that was available for aviation was a Bachelor of Science. And I think it was my third year, at the end of the third year, actually, when I really went into the academic advisor and I'm like, this is what I really want to do. I need to combine geography and aviation. I'm not sure how it's going to work. I I don't know what we're going to do, but let's take a look at my degree audit form and see if it can if it could possibly work. Um, And so we did find out that I had enough geography credits to actually make two separate majors from it. And the dean gave me such a challenge. She's like, this is going to be difficult. I'm not even sure what you want to go through with this. You can just take it as a minor. And I'm like, no. I think it's time for this program to evolve into something different. So I'm going to work towards it. And luckily I was able to do so. And then also add a minor of environmental science because aviation is just, it, aviation is multifaceted and having that geography, you know, major and the environmental science minor, it really helped me to understand a lot of concepts that I was learning in ground school for one. And then now with the current role that I'm in, I'm able to picture things a whole lot differently. So physical geography versus human geography, and really seeing how it links with aviation. So right then, in my fourth year, I think it was, they actually um, released a new program, the Bachelor of Commerce in Aviation. And a lot of students were really excited about that because it also showed, again, that aviation is multifaceted. There are some areas that some of us would want to go in. You know, not everyone wants to be a standard pilot. Some of us would probably like to combine GIS and aviation or we'd like to own our own airline. So we'd need the business background for that. So yeah, it was really encouraging. The only person with that degree on this side of Canada um, and to have completed it within the time frame. So that's something that I think I'm really proud of.
0: I mean, as, as you should be, if you're, you're, the, you're the only <laughs> one you're sort of piloting, literally piloting that new avenue of uh, doing that program. And I think, again, mm-hmm. it's a testament to wanting to understand how it all comes together, that again, holistic yeah. approach of aviation. Yeah, definitely. How did, I guess, studying environmental sciences and just sort of terrestrial human sciences as well, maybe impact some of the studying? I mean, you were able to maybe better understand some of the concepts, but do you find that there is more like a direct connective, oh, I'm being asked this question on a TC exam and I happen to have outside knowledge that might help with this? Mm-hmm.
1: So I found, and I'm glad that you asked that question, I found that the TC exams, they were pretty much very regimented, but having the background with those different factors, like, you know, factoring the human geography into this and trying to figure out, you know, noise levels in this area. Those are things that I'm like, okay, back in this class, I learned that this makes it exciting. I'm not even gonna go into it too far. I'm like, okay, so then this answer that TC is providing, it's technically true, but here's some background information that will help me to change my answer from A to C, simply because this is what I learned in geography. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of the process that I was going through. And I'm a very visual learner, so being able to see things represented in geography really filled in the blanks for aviation, where you know a lot of the research isn't there or it's very difficult to explain in a ground school class for like three hours a week or three hours a day, sorry. so that one that one really helped.
0: I'm sort of reflecting as well you mentioned that the fact that this program, although it's sort of initially, an aviation program Mm -hmm. it is keep it keeps developing all these different offshoots because aviation is not just about pilots and planes there's Mm -hmm. the meteorological side the business side of it so I think yeah yeah, a program that is willing to evolve and really allow their students the opportunity to drive the sort of to drive their passion their own interest I think that that sounds just like a really um really interesting and healthy way to approach learning if it's something that you want to do.
1: Yeah, definitely that. And I think it's because of the the experiential learning opportunities that we were provided. It really put things into perspective for some people because the fact of the matter is some people may be interested in aviation, but it's until they get into flight school when they actually have that up and close interaction with an engine and reading it in the textbook. it, It just really, it didn't really help the situation. So having all of those different experiences, whether it was through our physics class because of the Bachelor of Science component, or, um, you know, getting out there and getting into the field and seeing how things actually relate. That's really where it helped.
0: Now, we've touched on a lot of the more academic side of this program, Mm -hmm. but of course, there was also the commercial multi-IFR. What Mm -hmm. did you really enjoy about the flying, especially doing it in Moncton?
1: Um, I would say the weather variability. That was probably the scariest, but the most fun at the same time, because you never really knew what you were going to get. You know, you have the METARs, you have the TAF, And you go out there expecting one thing, but by the time you get up in the air, that's when it all kicks in. And it's like, do I come back down? Um, Do I have the the ability to continue with the winds that I'm facing? Because, you know, mountain, very windy as well. Um, So I think that was the fun part. And then flying in the night versus flying in the day and then making the transition from single engine to multi-engine, it was a moment where, you know, you're so excited, but you're trying to keep it really calm because you don't want your instructor to feel like, oh my gosh, this kid is freaking out. But um, yeah, it was, every everything was a learning um, opportunity. Every day was a learning opportunity. And it goes to show that, you know, you really have to be confident in yourself. And I think because of the structure of the program, you know, you soloed very early. So you were really forced to make sure that you were on your P's and Q's, so to speak. Um, and also have that confidence with yourself that, My instructor would have never let me solo if he didn't think or she didn't think that um, I was competent enough to do it and just really going out there and showing what you were able to to learn.
0: What was the most valuable thing you learned about yourself through flight training?
1: Hmm. That I am resilient, just like my very small island. And I think that's a common theme with Anguillians that have moved abroad. We realize that the things that we've learned or the skills that we've always seen portrayed with our people, it tends to follow us, especially in areas where there aren't very many of us. So resiliency, that's one thing that I've learned for sure.
0: Is there a very large Anguilan community in Canada?
1: Um, Mainly in Ontario and probably Alberta, I would say. But in New Brunswick, I'm the only one there. So (laughs) that's always fun. (laughs) Yeah, the Maritimes, not really on that side at all.
0: Yeah, you just sort of go, people are like, where are you from? You're like, you have never heard of it. I'm the first person you've probably met from there.
1: Yep, and that's exactly how the conversation goes. And, you know, it's fine because I have the opportunity to shape how people view my island or my people. So the onus is on me. So it's kind of intimidating sometimes. But at the same time, it's just let them see what you are capable of um, and, you know, maybe encourage them to take a little trip over there, too.
0: I, in a very different context i've lived abroad and i've had the opportunity to sort of feel like a quote-unquote ambassador for canada so i can imagine mm-hmm. you often might find yourself feeling like an unofficial ambassador for anguilla
1: yep <laughs> that happens yep definitely
0: that do you find that there's maybe a connection with those in the maritimes sort of i mean it's an, not all islands but there's a lot mm-hmm. of islands there's newfoundland labrador and prince edward island yeah coming from the caribbean like i mean there's sort of kind of an island I mean, very different island mentality mm-hmm. but sort of a commonality that way
1: yes and I think that's probably how I was able to adjust rather quickly um culture culture shock is always a thing don't get me wrong but because it's small um the people are generally very friendly and it's quiet very much so like my island so it wasn't really too much of an adjustment um the only thing I think probably really threw me for a loop was um (laughs) Listening to the different accents, um, deciphering between like Acadian and French and different things, um, and probably food other than that, small, you know, very cool still, they love seafood, I love seafood. it was able, it was very easy for me to adjust.
0: Just a seamless transition.
1: <laughs> yeah, very seamless.
0: Now presently you work as the admissions counselor for prospect management at Mount Allison University. How did you learn about this position?
1: Right. Um, the short version. <laughs> One of the vice presidents came to my door. I, um, Before I got into that position, I worked in experiential learning and career development and I was a postgraduate intern in there for about a year. Um, one day, one of the vice presidents came and knocked on my door and was like, well, recruitment and admissions is looking for a new admissions counselor. And I think this position really suits you. It'd be really nice if you applied. And she followed up with me very regularly to make sure that I did. And I'm actually really glad that I was able to make the transition because the role that I was in, it really did inform the current role that I do have. So I'm able to see, you know, learning new skills, transferable skills. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it.
0: No, and I'm sort of mindful as you're speaking, we had another guest who had talked about the idea of sort of there's mentors in aviation, but then there's, mm-hmm. I guess, more sort of sponsors, so to speak, in aviation. And this is someone that's already established that can sort of see your potential and kind of follows up with you to help moving Mm -hmm. along and it sounds like you sort of had a sponsor in that counselor
1: yeah so i i would say i've had a lot of official and unofficial mentors throughout my um my time here in canada um most recently i've had a sponsor through corverse aviation and that was filtered through the black girls gather program by shakira um she's based out of halifax and the job the real role was to make sure that young women, young Black women, after graduating, were able to make appropriate decisions concerning their employment and really supporting them through it. In my case, I was already employed, so it was a little different. So my sponsor took it upon herself to really make those connections in aviation. And it's through those connections I was able to be really pushed into this area, meeting with different people in CWIA or meeting with those with BAP and so on. So I found that this world is very small. Um, one person will connect you to the other and it just opens a completely different pathway for you.
0: No, and that's, yeah, and it, everyone knows everyone in aviation. Mm-hmm. And I love when I see someone, if I'm on social media, that we have 65 mutual friends, but I've never met them. And it's mm-hmm. <laughs> just, it's, it's so bizarrely odd. And yeah, you do need those mentors and other people to sort of uh, take an interest in you and help you out. How would you say having the different mentors that you've had over the years impacted your flight training experience?
1: Mm -hmm. So my very first mentor was actually through the international student program at Mount A. And she was the only female in the aviation program for a few years. Um, She was actually from Japan. So I was able to get the international student um, aspect of it and also flight training. She actually, when she was doing the instructor program, she would fly with me because I was still a student. And gave me lots of tips to follow up, but also really general life skills as well, you know, being able to navigate through aviation as a woman. And then different connections she also led me through as well. Um, later on, I've had several mentors, not necessarily in aviation, but more along the geography side of things. So mm-hmm. then I realized exactly how close geography and aviation were. And that had my wheels turning. And then later, of course, led me to the decision of having that integrated degree. And then after I graduated, um, people just really stepped up, whether officially or unofficially. A few of them, you know, providing free consultations to help me really get my resumes sorted out, make sure I have the right amount of hours, making sure I was talking to the right people, you know. Um, and even though I'm an admissions counselor, the journey still continues. I still want to fly. Um, but it's really nice to be able to see, sit back and really see how aviation works because even though I did my complete flight training, I still was unaware of how many roles were in the aviation industry and how many behind the scene jobs there were. So that's what I'm really, right now I'm actually just sitting back contemplating on whether or not I really want to fly or so being an av being directly in aviation or being an aviation professional so Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of where I'm at right now
0: no and it's it's amazing the difference that one mentor one person can make even in Mm -hmm. just a one conversation with you it can profoundly sort of change the direction that you go you'll find out of a new role a new opportunity Um, it sounds like you really lucked out and had a lot of great mentors. I
1: did. I cannot complain on that one. And, you know, where I can give back, I would because it's always, it's always good to have that advice going on, especially in aviation, because there's so many opportunities in there.
0: No, I think exactly as you said, if you can't pay it back, you pay it forward. Yep. Now sort of jumping back to your role as an admissions counselor, what does a typical day look like?
1: So my role, um, the Admissions Council Prospect Management, I would say probably trifold. So a bit of recruitment, uh, a bit of admissions um, counseling, so to speak. And then I also have the portfolio of social media management. So I'm also responsible for anything social media that you see coming out of um, Mount Allison Admissions and their account. So I work very closely with the marketing and communication department of Mount Allison itself and then also representing our department. So it's a little busy sometimes. Right now, um, because things are virtual, it's a little better. So I'm not always on the road. But last um, last semester, I did have the opportunity to travel and see, you know, how to maneuver things because I was very new to the role as well. So sometimes I'd be on the road, but I still have to do my, my counseling and then making sure that our social media is up to date with things. So it's pretty busy, but I really do enjoy it.
0: No, and it sounds like, again, all the different aspects of it, that it ends up, it it could be quite fulfilling, just that sort of mm-hmm. getting to sort of help people start on a new, a new journey, a new chapter. Yeah, yeah. When you are out sort of recruiting and doing prospect engagement and management, are you looking at just sort of all of Matt Allison's programs, or is it specifically the aviation program?
1: So it's generally all of the programs, but for some reason, I know the reason, but I'll just be very, um, you know, playful about that one. I do tend to get lots of the aviation students, especially the international ones, simply because they would rather speak to someone who knows the program and who can give them the honest advice, ins and outs of the program and making sure that, you know, if this is something that I'm investing in, I want to make sure that this is the right step for me. So I do get quite a few aviation students. Um, Mount Allison is Low key being known as the aviation school, simply because of especially the second pathway that we opened, the Bachelor of Commerce in Aviation. Mm -hmm. So I do get quite a number of them and they follow up, um, you know, looking for advice. Which resources can I tap into? I haven't started as a student yet, but I still want to stay in touch with things. So it keeps me on my toes as well, because I have to go through my personal network, make sure that the resources are, you know, student friendly. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, this place is doing something different. I'll keep this in the back of my mind for my own personal research. Mm-hmm. So it's always very informative.
0: I, I think exactly as you said, being able to speak to someone who's done the program, who knows the ins and outs, even if it changes slightly over yes. time, being able to speak to someone who has that direct experience, it's it's always easier to feel like you've done maybe more research or, or better research than just speaking mm-hmm. to, uh, I guess, um, like a dean or uh, beneficial, I guess, rep for the university or the post-secondary institute, but not necessarily the program. It, I can see how engaging with you is
1: uh, just better. Yeah, <laughs> happy to help where I can. Again, it, it, it helps me sleep better at night knowing that I've helped these students unlock the next chapter of their aviation training, for example, and, you know, at the same time, provide them with resources who can better help them because I may I I know I know that I do not know everything so it's always great to say you know I think this person might be you know helpful if you'd like to learn about this and just kind of recommend them along
0: it also I think gives you from what I can hear maybe the opportunity to continue learning yourself if you know what Mm -hmm. I've never heard about combining these two things together with aviation but let's go learn about that together because it sounds pretty cool
1: yeah, it definitely is. A lot of opportunities, especially now everyone says that COVID was probably not the best idea, but it also has informed our thinking because now we're able to combine different things that we didn't even think about because we had a bit more time on our hands to actually do the research. So I, I'd say that's probably the plus of the pandemic.
0: Now, specifically for the aviation program at Mount Allison, mm-hmm. what suggestions would you have for someone who's in the process of
1: applying? hmm. So I would say generally those interested in aviation pretty much have an idea of where they want to go or what they would like to pursue. I would say any advice is probably stick with it. Um, of course, at Monday, you're welcome to switch around your program if you feel like it's not working for you. You have lots of time to adjust your degree, but stick with it for a bit because aviation itself is challenging. and you have to be really, really, really detailed with your time management skills and making sure that, you know, you're at ground school at the time, at your flights on time, but you're also at your regular classes or labs on time as well. So I would say stick with it. It would be difficult, but um, it's very rewarding at the end of the day, knowing that you've accomplished so much within your space of undergraduate training.
0: Especially given, I guess, in in your case, you have the double major, but
1: Mm -hmm.
0: with the flight training, that, that is a full-time job. Being in post-secondary, yes. that's a full-time job. So I can see how coming out on the other end of it, you would just feel so, so. I, I mean, rightfully so proud of yourself and accomplished mm-hmm. that you, you exactly were able to manage all of this.
1: Yeah. What I do tell parents, you know, if you know your child struggled with getting, you know, getting to that level of maturity or responsibility, that program really ensures that they come out very mature, very responsible, and they have a better idea of what they want to do with their lives, as opposed to, you know, still trying to figure things out, which is completely fine, don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. But it really gets you into thinking like this is what I want to do. I've invested in this. How do I how do I continue? What what are the next steps? So the parents are also reassured.
0: (laughs) I I mean, if you are in a situation where you're going to post-secondary and you have parents that are actively involved in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Allaying some concerns that they have about how it all goes down, Mm -hmm. especially if they're not from aviation can uh, can be very helpful. Right. I know in, in my own experience, my parents, uh, it was my mom and I who had gone to different flight schools to Mm -hmm. look at different aviation programs. And I mean, we, we didn't know anything and it was very helpful to have people sit down and uh, graduates of the program explain Mm -hmm. how it worked because I mean, we didn't know. I just knew I wanted to fly planes and that they were cool, but I had no idea how to get there.
1: Right. No, it's, it's always fun talking with the parents who do not have an aviation background, because surprisingly, a lot of um, our students, their parents have no idea about how to even spell, <laughs> how to even spell half of the acronyms that we use. So being able to sit down with them and, you know, show them this is actually a reliable industry your, your child is not going to be completely stressed out all the time. It is rewarding and letting them know, you know, this is, this is a potential pathway. This is what you can look out for. You can be a proud pilot mom and dad too. And a lot of them end up, some of them actually end up getting interested in aviation themselves to the point where they want to get at least their private pilot's license. And that's really heartwarming to see parents and their kids flying together or parents and guardians or whoever flying together. So really great.
0: You know, that's exactly sort of what's happened in my family. My parents have been uh, subjected, I would say, <laughs> not entirely against their will. But uh, there's a very intense passion on my part, even just like episodes of Mayday. Mm-hmm. Um, my my family can have my non-aviation family can have thoughtful discussions about TSC accident reports that come out or oh, yeah. <laughs> accident accidents because they have been forced by me to, to have to learn all these things. And uh, I love that if my mom sees something that is a uh, God, if you have a if you have a tail strike, my mom Mm -hmm. still calls that the little butt drag. And I'm like, you can't call it that. (laughs) I love that you're into it, but you can't call it a little butt drag.
1: (laughs) Honestly, it's what works for them. You know, Um, there's sometimes my dad, he would send me articles or different um, postings. He said, okay, can you explain this in in English? (laughs) I'm like, well, it's right there, but you know, you can't really expect way too much of them, but the fact that they show interest, I think that's also something that really pushed me along knowing that my parents were all for it they didn't force me into your stereotypical job they were very supportive and still are very supportive and making sure that you know i don't just give up on aviation completely so that's always heartwarming at the end of the day
0: no and i mean it sounds like we both come from non aviation families and mm-hmm. having having that support even if they don't fully understand it um yeah. is is pivotal i don't i don't know what i would have done without the support of my family mhm I'm, I'm very lucky. Now, you said earlier, and I I have to say, I, I was quite endeared by this, the idea that you sleep better at night knowing that you've been able to provide that information and those resources to mm-hmm. uh, hopeful students or, uh, I guess, potential students looking mm-hmm. at Mount Allison and their programs. And obviously, to me, that's an incredibly rewarding aspect of your role. But what are some of the more challenging aspects?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say because, again, um, it's also very academic as well. It's not just flight training, you know, really conveying to a student that you really need the academics to get through this. It's flight training. It involves so much information that you have to absorb that you have to at least have a little I'm blanking on the words right now. But you have to have some kind of background to get you through it, because. There are some things that let's say you start talking instruments and so on. You really need to know the physics behind it and conveying to some students that yes, that physics class is very important. It's something that they need to be mindful of. And it's really difficult to explain that, especially if they're super passionate. You don't want to feel as though you're crushing their dreams because you probably aren't. You're just providing them with the the necessary resources. So I would say that would be the most challenging part. And, um, also seeing students really passionate about aviation, but not having the funding to get through with mm-hmm. it. Um, obviously I don't really make as many decisions regarding funding because I'm just the admissions counselor, but you know, they they voice these concerns and you, you encourage them to apply for scholarships and so on. And then they reach out and they're like, but it still doesn't cover enough. And my, my family isn't able to support. And some of them are doing it on their own as well. So it's just them. Um, And just really reinforcing to them that you know it's still possible to follow on your dreams it just may take a little longer and you know being able to i I was able to take a loan to fund my education so it wasn't the same i guess same issues or whatever but um really that that's the difficult part sitting there and knowing that you know they're going to struggle financially they're probably going to have to work it's probably going to take a little longer to get their degree but when they actually get through and you see the whole success story, it's just a testament of if you really want something, you're going to work and do what you need to do to get there.
0: No. And of course that is such a, a barrier to aviation um, mm-hmm. and it affects different people differently. It depends yeah. on a, a bunch of different factors of, related to who you are and the circumstances you find yourself in. But yeah, I, I can see how having that, that those challenging conversations, those, those tough conversations where mm-hmm. or even I guess maybe telling someone like it, it didn't work out for you this time there's different things you can do um, yeah. to reapply but it didn't come together today and that yeah. when it's your passion I can imagine that would be very hard because it's it's your dream too you understand what it means mm-hmm. not to have made it into that program
1: yeah with every success there is a challenge and being able to see a lot of them because I would go through their files and see that they applied previously, but had to withdraw because of financial constraints. And then when I see them come back, especially with my last um, admissions period, I should say, it makes me feel really great knowing that. And then they tell you, like, I got a scholarship that covers whatever. Or I was able to get a financial um, financial assistance to help me through it. And then I have this payment plan and they give you the entire list. And you know they're passionate because they give you this very detailed plan. And it's like, you know what? Go through it. If I see something that can help you, I'm going to send it your way because I, I know that you're really serious about it. And it's not just, you know, I'm doing this because like, I have to. That's it. They're super passionate.
0: Now, how did you become involved with the Black Aviation Professionals Network?
1: Great. So back to that topic of this aviation world is very small. Um, One of the professors at MoDe, he's actually a program advisor for the Bachelor of Science program now. Um, He connected with a contact in CWIA, actually Nisha. And he said, you know, I think you'd really like to meet this person, let's um, arrange a call, and I was able to speak with Nisha, and she explained to me, you know, all those CWA, what they were currently working on, and then she said, you know what, I have a contact, and I think this is probably right up your alley, I know you're busy, but this is something that you'd really like. So I said, okay, who are you you putting me in contact with? And it was actually Tanya from the Black Aviation Professional Network. And it's like, I've never heard of of them. I'm not sure what this is, but I'm willing to entertain a call and see where we go from there. And after our call, um, she offered me a position with the team, um, mainly for student programs and development, because again, with my role at Mount A, I'm dealing with students all the time. And it just was a perfect fit and so I signed on that was last September if I have my dates correct and I've never looked back since it's always been great no
0: and I had the opportunity to meet Tanya before mm-hmm. Bappen was officially official and but at that time of course the the wheels were turning Tanya was yeah. trying to figure out how to make that all happen and it is a testament to her vision to see mm-hmm. how it has grown uh since it became officially official and yeah. it and i I've, I've, we've, I've talked about this before in our show but sort of recognizing my own privilege in aviation mm-hmm. it was very easy for me to walk into an aviation context and see other, just men and go well here i am these mm-hmm. white woman i'm the minority here recognizing that there was a need for women in aviation groups yes and not clocking right away we're all white and yeah. understanding that the same way that there was a need for women in aviation programs and resource groups and social groups, there also needed to be Black aviation professional groups and resources and social groups. Mm-hmm. And it has been, once I understood that there was that need that the industry was really lacking, it has been so exciting for me to watch and grow and develop because I, I can mm-hmm. understand that the same way I benefited from women in aviation groups, different Black up-and-coming aviation professionals and those already established in the industry would benefit right. from a place where they can just go be themselves in mm-hmm. aviation.
1: Right. I agree with that one. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why I signed on because, again, coming in as an international student and I was one of the, luckily in my intake group, we, had, we started off with four ladies in the group of like a million other guys, but um, two of us were Black. One was Indigenous, and the other one was um, Middle Eastern. So it was really great to be able to see that all of us were people of color. Um, Unfortunately, not everyone was able to continue with the program, so it ended up just being two of us at the end. But going through that and then taking the small Monte pool and putting it into the MFC pool, I was the only Black um, lady there for a while, and that was difficult because representation does matter. And when you're not able to receive that same support or advice or just being able to see someone there, it was difficult. Um, And I did face a lot of challenges coming into it because it was always the the feeling that you had to do more work and prove yourself. Um, And I didn't want other students to struggle with that. And later on, as I realized, like the different groups that came in, the U10s, the 11s and whatever, I started noticing larger numbers of Black women or Black people in general. Um, and through BAPIN, it's like, we can help these students, we can support them, give them the avenues to support the advice that they need to make it through, because they are more likely to drop out of the flight training or any other training that's aviation related, simply because there's no one to give them the advice, and no one really takes them seriously. So... My role with BAPIN was trying to eliminate that as much as possible. And I would say that given where we started and where we are now, students see, they're all just with the representation matters. Thank you for the advice. You know, this is something that we really needed. And especially, again, if they come from non-aviation families, Mm -hmm. they're able to inform their families and show them that this is is an important career. This is not just, you know, me just... mm blown around with a plane or something. This is actually a career and I can move vertically within it because you don't have to just be a regular working pilot. You can get into flight operations. You can, there's so many things that you can, you can work in. So presenting them with those opportunities, especially at a younger age, so that they make informed decisions moving forward and being able to connect them with those people, because there are people around. It's just, you know, you kind of need someone to introduce you, make that um, initial introduction, and you move from there. No,
0: and I, I'm sort of thinking about CWIA and just sort yeah. of how they have changed uh, since uh, Iris and Nisha took on uh, yeah. the, uh, the role as like co chairs, co organizers for uh, CWIA 2022. Mm-hmm. And although I really enjoyed CWIA uh, when I was at their conference in 2019, mm-hmm. I think it was very important for both Iris and Nisha to make sure that it was more that the feminism of CWIA was more intersectional, that it was more yes. inclusive. Yeah. I I fit right in and it never, again, it speaks to my privilege. I never thought that any of the women there that were black or indigenous or just women of color were not necessarily feeling as welcome as I was just because I was a white woman, that it was different for them. So I, I think that having, yeah, exactly, like a resource group, that mm-hmm. um, it doesn't detract from my experience to have a black aviation professionals network it 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 makes it better for the industry overall when people can be supported and feel, I guess yeah, just more welcome and if if that's if it if it is as I mean if it sounds as simple as simple as mm-hmm. just sort of having those communities and that the communities are visible and thriving and trying to help everyone I, I, I just commend the work that bapin is doing because I I, I cannot, I do not understand the difference they make, but I know the difference that they make.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you being able to say that because, you know, we may not understand things on a personal level, but being able to see other people benefiting from that and acknowledging it, that's something that I really do appreciate.
0: Oh, it, it, I had one mentor in aviation and she's, mm-hmm. I, I I have many mentors. I'm going to pick on her for a her here. She mm-hmm. has uh, she she's this great ability where she was the first sort of person in aviation that taught me that investing in the success of others mm-hmm. does not hinder your own success. Agreed. You, I no, am not I'll going love to. That. <laughs> I, I am not going to be penalized for supporting someone else. In fact, it's mm-hmm. going to make us both richer for that. And I am mindful of sort of my place as a white woman in aviation. That yeah, I have my own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. But a woman of color has all these extra challenges, too, in addition to just being a woman. So yeah. trying to find ways that I, as an individual, can show my support and help not in a sort of like a white savior narrative, but just sort of try and use, I guess, the, the, the benefits I have, the, the strengths that, that I have from being a mm-hmm. white woman in aviation, it doesn't hinder my own success. And if okay. I can help other people, because I know how challenging this industry can be, if mm-hmm. I can help someone else who has even more challenges than I do work through that, then it's it's rewarding for me without sort of trying to uh, take away from the fact that at the core of BAPN, it is Black aviation professionals. I can support <laughs> it and not take away from the core movement.
1: Yeah. Well said. <laughs> like, I actually have nothing to say on that one. Well said.
0: How do you hope your work through BAPN as the student programs and development director inspires the next generation
1: of Black aviation professionals? Mm-hmm. I hope that at the end of whatever event we have, these students have something to take back with them, knowing that, you know, it's completely okay for me to pursue a career in this area because they've provided me with the resources. I have a mentor. I have people who are actually willing and able to listen and provide me with a pathway or several pathways for that regard. So, you know, just exposing them to different areas in aviation and letting them know, you know, we can talk finances. Finances is something that we're going to work on to make sure that you get to where you need to be. And again, if you can't pay it back, pay it forward. And that's really all we're asking, you know, take the information that we've provided with you, shared with your classmate who probably couldn't attend what we were going to, or go home and talk to your family about it and spread the word. So that's really something at the end of the day. And I, and even aside from back and with any other thing that I do, I said I want you to be able to take away at least one thing and that one thing has to be transferable so that you can share it with someone else.
0: Now, what is on the horizon for Bappen in terms of new student programs and projects?
1: Right. So we do have quite a few things popping up. Um, in early March, we will be having a day in aviation. Not sure if you were able to see that one of it before or learn about it, but it has been previously done this year's going to be virtual, so a little different. Um, But yeah, this is really our opportunity as an educational partner with the Toronto District School Board to be able to talk with the students and introduce them to aviation and not just, oh, we're just bringing in pilots. No, we want you to see AMEs, we want you to see professionals in aviation, so people who work behind the scenes in commerce or the business of aviation, so to speak, um, getting in there with the military, getting in there with people from the space agency. You know, Of course, it all really depends on the volunteers that are able to really help out with us um, for this event. But um, yeah, we that's the big one that's coming up. Very excited about it because, you know, working with kids, it can be a challenge, but at the same time, we want them to see from an early age that you don't just have to be a pilot. You can be working in the business side of it, or you can work in flight operations. So presenting them with the pathways and ensuring that they are able to continue along. So it's not just a one day event or a few days or a week event, something that we can follow up with them on and making sure that even if the content is built into their current curriculum, even if it's just a one day a month, this is something that they can talk about. Because again, it goes to the experiential learning opportunities that they're able to have whether virtual or not. um, And just really setting them up to to see where their careers can take them. So that's one. Um, The other one, we have a couple of financial literacy Um, Events coming up as well, but you know, stay tuned. Check in on the BAP and our website, and we always post our upcoming events so that people are able to stay updated. I know things are shifting regularly, and sometimes we have to pivot to be able to accommodate whatever you know restrictions are around. But mainly, the big event that we have is the Day in Aviation one.
0: Now you mentioned that this is being done in tandem with the Toronto District School Board. What is the average age of some of the students that will be attending the Day in Aviation?
1: So we're looking at those that are around grade nine, that's pretty much the average, just because right at that phase they're starting to think of where they want to go, a few of them are like okay. When do I send in my college application if they want to do undergrad training with flight school, and then there's some of them who are wondering, should I start getting into like a co op kind of program so that I have experience. I want to do my PPL now. Is it smart to do it now, or should I wait until later? So around the grade nine age is what we're looking at, because generally by grade twelve, they've already had an idea of where they want to go. Of mm-hmm. course, they, they're still welcome to get any advice, but around the grade nine ten age.
0: And I think, yeah, sort of uh, having an exposure to aviation around that nine ten age, that still gives you time that, okay, yes. I know that I want to take uh, if, if it's in Ontario. I want to take college level math or university level math, whatever the mm-hmm. distinction is, uh, just sort of really, I guess, help work towards it. it, it there gives enough time to sort of plan, um, right. I guess, for later on an application to an aviation uh, mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why?
1: So right now, I'm trying to think, I know my first research paper back home when I did college um, I found the St. Lucian pilot, she was very young and her picture and her news article online was probably the jump started there, I can't even remember her name to be quite honest, but I saw the article, I think my dad probably sent it to me, and I was like what she's a commercial pilot at this age and she's doing so well okay, this is the type of representation that I need. This is something that I'm going to go forward with. And then I started, you know, of course, everyone knows Amelia Earhart and so on, but then I started digging into it. And I was like, okay, so who's the first female um, licensed pilot? And then I found Bessie Coleman. And she's she's genuinely an inspiration because, you know, of her status first African-American and indigenous Black person to have their license um, and did really well in her career I mean, of course, until the end, but um, it was definitely that what really, really propelled me in there. So she's definitely someone I, I admire.
0: No, and no. one of the things I find so interesting about uh, sort of the early pioneers of women in aviation, mm-hmm. um, when you think about aviation pioneering, I mean, we, I'm going to just use the Wright brothers as an example, mm-hmm. they're dead. Um, yeah. whereas <laughs> when it comes to sort of pioneering women in aviation, Oftentimes they're still living. Bessie Coleman, of course, is not, but it's it's always interesting to me sort of the way that I guess when women were finally able to enter Mm -hmm. the aviation industry, it was so much more recent. So these are women that I mean they could be my my mom or even sort of an aunt of mine as opposed to this historical figure. Um, whoever is the first person to do something, especially in aviation, especially Mm -hmm. as a woman and a woman of color. You set a precedent. Yes. And just because uh, I was I was talking about this recently with the idea that I could see a woman doing something in aviation as the first. And she was probably Mm -hmm. a white woman. And I didn't really have to read into it past that, but for Mm -hmm. I guess Bessie Coleman being again the first black woman, the first Black Indigenous woman to do something in aviation and get Mm -hmm. her licensing. I mean, there's the the avenue that she opened, the doors that were Oh yeah opened by her doing that, is, uh, even though she is not a living legend of aviation, mm-hmm. it uh, is felt to this day.
1: Yeah, and I think what really interested me about her was the fact that she was so young when she was able to accomplish that. Same thing with the St. Lucian pilot that I saw. I think she was 17, and me being at the age I was when I first saw that, it was just mind-blowing that, one, they're Black, they're women, but they're young and this is something that I want to do. I mean, not saying that you can't get into aviation at a later age, don't get me wrong, but it's impressionable at that age to see someone doing something that you dreamed of doing your entire life. So that was really great for me. Now,
0: what advice did you have for someone considering a career in aviation?
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty um, similar to the advice I provided earlier on being resilient and sticking with it because it is going to be difficult, especially if you know you decide to pursue undergraduate studies with it. That's something I can speak to because that's what I did. Um, it's difficult, but it's rewarding. And yeah, you may have to miss out on a few social events or you know, really restructure your calendar to suit certain things, but stick with it. Um, you'll be surprised where aviation can take you literally and figuratively, but um, it is definitely a rewarding area. And you never know who you'll end up inspiring. So continue along with your journey. And it's okay to reach out for help from different professionals in that area. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. If you're struggling with, you know, understanding certain concepts or even with the physical flying, the the physical flying itself, ask for help because you are trying to be the best version of yourself. If you decide to get into commercial aviation, for example, you're going to be responsible for lots of lives. So if you realize that something is challenging you, definitely go for it. Um, I was lucky to have some really great instructors. And anytime there was something that I struggled with, even if it involved taking an extra flight or just sitting down and doing an additional fun flight, quote unquote, so that I could really not lose sight of the fact that aviation is something that I loved as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm doing this because like, I have a test to prepare for. Um, those are really, really great moments and really reaffirmed my love for aviation.
0: I can attest to exactly what you said of every now and then having a fun flight, just yeah. as a, a break from, oh, I'm prepping for this or what are mm. the V-speeds for this other aircraft I'm working on? Oh, yeah. Just being able to just, yeah, be you in the plane in the moment and my. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so easy to lose sight of
1: why you're doing this and that yeah. it is actually fun. <laughs> and I think one of my instructors used to say all the time, you fly the plane, don't let the, fly, the, the plane fly you. And that's always something that continues. And it's something that I actually use in my daily life. Like, don't let the situation control you. You take control of the situation. So, you know, aviation really does give us these moments where we just sit back and we're like, wow, OK, I can actually apply this to real world situations. So yeah
0: i i joke that the confidence i have from aviation sometimes uh spills over into my regular life but not necessarily mm-hmm. in like a helpful way that i i think like well i i understand an engine i can do this ikea mm-hmm. furniture
1: and yeah.
0: it has no direct correlation but i just have this sort of this confidence that comes with aviation mm-hmm. um no, i don't think uh unmer- unwarranted or um, Confidence that could sort of put me in harm's way, um, but yeah, it just sort of like I'm more willing to maybe try something that yeah
1: you you are more willing to accept a challenge, and yeah. that's I think that's probably what Babbin is for me more of a challenge because it's still a very new area to me at least you know with the student programs and development it's like yeah I know how to fly a plane but do I know to work backwards and design programs to help these kids <laughs> later on fly a plane if that's what they want to do so it's always a challenge for me and. Although sometimes I sit back and I'm like, guys, I don't think I can do this. This is so much mental capacity that I don't know how to expand. But then I remember, you know, what the goal is, what we're working towards. And, you know, I just sit back and I say, challenge accepted. And, you know, it may not always work out as well as I want it to, but it's still successful. And then I find ways to improve and move forward. And again, just like life, you try to find ways to improve and move forward and better yourself. So, yeah, challenge accepted.
0: Now, we've talked a lot about aviation, your post-secondary studies in aviation, but who is Ariana outside of aviation? What are some activities you enjoy that have
1: nothing to do with planes and flying? That's so funny, because I still feel like everything has to do with planes and flying. <laughs> yeah. And I think everyone who has the aviation boat can see the same thing. But um, yeah. I have several jobs. I call myself the jack of all trades because I will try anything um, simply just because it's always good to challenge yourself. And that's one thing that I do. So, you know, if I'm not cooking, I'm out there just hanging out with friends, trying to figure out this new game or trying to figure out how to like the most random things really. But, um, you know, taking the time now, because as a student, I found that I was very goal oriented, you know, work school, flight school, and then home. Now I'm actually taking a chance to do some traveling, um, just randomly picking up and going to different places. And that's really cool. I I mean, it still has to do with aviation (laughs) and travel, but, you know, taking the time out to go to different places and sit back and have conversations, really meaningful conversations, with people over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Um, Yeah. So that's really what I do in my spare time now.
0: And has there been a place that you sort of have just sort of dropped everything to go uh, for a trip that was a particular highlight?
1: Yes. Like right now, I actually decided to come and visit my friend in Montreal. Um, I haven't been over on this side for a while. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to take some time off and I'm going to go to Montreal for the weekend. And that was, that was great because, you know, everyone needs a break and spending time with the people that you value. It's super important. So, yeah.
0: I mean, again, we're sort of still kind of flirting with, it's. is it really in aviation or outside of aviation? But aviation does give I you I took the, the train this
1: time. So okay. So <laughs> not, not aviation. I not know even. that surprised everyone when people realized where I was going. It's like, you're not taking a plane? this is wild. Like, are you okay? <laughs> are you doing well? But no, I decided to take a train. And, um, you know, there's still, again, me being very aviation minded, I saw certain um, controls. I was like, wow, this is literally a plane <laughs> that's on a track. It, it's doing similar things. I can see where um, in physics, these things align. So yeah, my aviation brain was still kicking, but I was able to appreciate a different mode of transportation.
0: Yeah, so of course you not backing down from challenges, liking to know how things work, or you're now just there thinking like, I need to become a conductor. Like I need to have that <laughs> in my wheelhouse as well.
1: <laughs> I'm like, how do we make these things linked? Um, <laughs> that's exactly where my brain is at. And again, like every time I jump on a plane, whether it's business class or in economy, I still need to see what's happening. And it's probably just me just being a very curious person, but I wanna see what they're doing with the wings. I want to see, like, are the flaps down? Are they actually really down? I just, I need to know what's going on to satisfy my curiosity. So that's probably where all of my extracurriculars come from now, trying to satisfy my curiosity and understand how things work that aren't necessarily aviation related.
0: No, and I think, again, being a lifelong learner, staying curious and Mm -hmm. having the sort of the opportunity and the, the emotional and mental bandwidth to be able to dive into these things. Uh, God, that sounds like a great way to have your free time. Yeah, definitely. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career so far?
1: Okay, so one of my favorite memories, at least with flight training, was spinning with my instructor, like, performing spins, um, It was so great and I don't know why I enjoyed that so much because again, like these are things that you're learning in case an emergency happens and learning how to recover. But I enjoyed that way more than I probably should have. (laughs) I toppled the gyro, I felt amazing because my instructor was like, yeah, you really did it and you recovered so quickly Um, because we were trying to do like unconventional things in terms of, you know, you had your hood on and can you recognize if you're in a spiral dive or if you're in a spin. And how do you recover from that in the quickest way possible? And I was like, yeah, this is actually really great. I enjoy this a lot. So um, that was one of my favorite memories. Another one would be, oh, okay. Flying through Virgo or interacting with Virgo on the way back home from a flight, a cross-country flight with my instructor. Um, I It wasn't forecasted. All I've ever seen with Virgo is like in a textbook. and. All of a sudden we just heard like this, this sound just hitting on the wing. And I, I tried not to panic. I was like, you know what, let's be a really professional pilot here. What are we dealing with? And I looked over and I'm like, I think based on what I'm seeing, this is working. He's like in my entire career, I've never, never experienced this. Luckily we were like really close to Moncton. So we were able to land and deal with that situation, but that was, that was interesting. And I think that's one that will always stay with me, being able to see something that I only ever saw in a textbook happen in real life. So that was really cool. And then um, I would say with the admissions counselor role, probably, oh, maneuvering like a million different fears in one day, because again, everything was virtual. But then I also had the opportunity to do some physical recruitment. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out how I was going to be able to do all of it at once. So I went from my physical engagement straight over to the virtual one, and I was just going all day. And I sat down, and I was like, wow, I feel like I've just done back-to-back flights. Maybe this is more similar to the job than I thought. So that one was also a really good memory.
0: No, and I am jumping just initially into the spin uh, comment, but mm-hmm. like by the time you get ready for even your PPL flight test, of course, in Canada, we do mm-hmm. spins as part of our initial flight training. Yeah. And by the time you have gotten to your PPL flight test, you, you're, you're kind of over maybe not the novelty of a spin, but you're, you're mm-hmm. ready for it. Uh, but that first time, oh, man, you just think that this is like, how am I ever going to be taught how to recover from this? It was just like, exhilarating. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I love I I honestly don't tell my parents, but <laughs> they'll they'll hear it in the podcast anyway. I really do enjoy stunt piloting. I think that air, like aerobatic maneuvers, I find them to be the most interesting things and being able to recover from them and then do them repeatedly. That's something that I really, really like. Um, I love commercial flying, don't get me wrong. But if I were to navigate into a different section of aviation, I would probably get into um, aerobatic maneuvering. I would would definitely do that. So my first spin, I knew in my head that this was, I was like, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. And as we continue to practice them, my instructors never really found fault with it. So then that kind of, you know, something that you keep in the back of your head, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this very well. Maybe I can move on over to this section. So yeah, I really love that.
0: I think we just found your next free time activity.
1: (laughs) Right, right. We're not going to tell them about that just yet. When I master it completely, then (laughs) I'll say, you know what, Um, I'm into this now. (laughs) Thank you for starting me off here. But I think I like that section a bit.
0: Now, before we wrap up today, where can you be found on social media?
1: Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. You name it, I have it. (laughs) Um, With my name, Ariana Woodley. And yeah, and Instagram, it's also the same thing with an underscore between my first and my last name.
0: We will be sure to have all those links in the episode description for our listeners. Ariana Woodley, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, The Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.